0: Thanks for tuning in to Three Strands Podcast. You're about to hear an episode from our Sunday morning worship service. To learn more about Three Strands, visit our website, threestrands.church. But anyhow, we're gonna wrap up this series today, Fear Not. This is the first week of this series you've been here, maybe the first week ever you've been here. Uh, Let me just kind of recap for you where we're at. We're at the tail end of this five-week series where we're um, talking about some different fears that we have. And to do that, we're going through the Christmas story and looking at these different encounters that people had with angels. And each time an angel shows up to them, the angel says, fear not. And uh, usually you would think that would mean like, oh, they're just, a, they're just kind of freaked out or afraid because an angel popped up. But uh, then the angel digs deeper and kind of addresses their underlying fear. And that was kind of, I don't know, eye-opening for me as I studied through this passage. And I thought, let's share that with everybody. And so way back in week one of the series, before we got to the Christmas account, we went the whole way back to the Old Testament and looked at um, where God shows up in a burning bush that doesn't get consumed. And he speaks to Moses and he says to Moses, I am, I am. We talked about what that means, I am, that he was literally saying, I am life itself. I am the sustainer of all that lives. I am breath. I am the literal breath in your lungs. And so you see that where God breathes into Adam the breath of life and Jesus calls himself um, uh, the bread of life and the breath of life and the living water and all these like kind of, I don't know, metaphors to describe Jesus. And and so you see this idea that God is like saying to us, I'm life itself. And he goes through this kind of calling of Moses and he tells him not to be afraid. And, and he gives him the reasons not to be afraid. And he says, don't be afraid because I'm going to be with you. And don't be afraid because I've promised you victory. And don't be afraid because my power is greater than any obstacle you're going to face. And we kind of said to be on the lookout for those things in this series, that God was going to show up in all of our fears and really say the same things to us, that the antidotes for your fears are those same things, that God is with you, his presence, that God has kind of committed that you're going to get victory or given you some promises, and that God is stronger than any other bully you're going to face, and his power is enough. So God's presence, God's promise, and God's power those are the antidotes for our fear. And we're seeing those show up. And so then in week two, we looked at where an angel shows up to Zechariah. If you don't know who Zechariah is, you've never heard that before. He's the dad of John the Baptist. Maybe you've heard of John the Baptist before. And so an angel shows up to him and says, you're going to have a son. And he doesn't believe it because he's so old. He thinks there's no way I could have a kid at this point. And um, kind of doubts it. And we go through that conversation. And it was this idea of the fear of like being stuck. Like you're stuck in this spot. It's never going to be any different than it is right now. You can't even imagine it being any different than it is for you right now. And so we looked at that fear of being stuck and just said like, but when you embrace God's love for you, it unsticks you, right? And not just that God loves you, but really that he loves you the most. And so then in week three, we kind of looked at the encounter where an angel shows up and talks to the shepherds in a field. And it was the fear of being insignificant, just kind of having a a menial existence, like you don't really matter too much. And But we looked at God's purpose for life, and when you embrace God's purpose for your life, you find your significance. And then last week, um, we looked at the fear of being labeled, and where the angel shows up and talks to Joseph, and all the things that Joseph could have been labeled going through with this marriage, staying with Mary, um, who was claiming to be impregnated by by God. And so you're like, all these labels people could throw on you, and and that's a real fear that we all have. And and we just kind of shared at the end last week that if you know whose you are and who gets to name you and call you things, then you don't have to be afraid of all the things other people are saying about you or even the things you're saying about yourself. And uh, these are kind of real fears. They're not the fears maybe people would say if you're like, you know, give me the most common fears people have. Maybe they are the most common fears, but they're not the things people would say. They would say things like heights or spiders or loud noises. And, and I read this article one time that said you're only born with two fears. Does anybody know what they are? Anybody know what the two fears are you born with? And said, every other fear is learned behavior. You learn to be afraid. Anybody want to take a guess at what one of them is? A fear you're born with? Oh, well, this is the audience participation portion of our service. So you're like, we don't do that very often. Fear of what was it? Fear of me? Is that what you said? No, fear of me. No, what was it? Who said that? Fear of falling. Yeah, fear of falling is one. Anybody got another one? You can test this out. If you have a baby at home today, you can test these out on them if you want. Hold them over something, see if they freak out or Anyone get the, the other one? There's one more. One more. You want to take a guess? No the fear of loud noises. Right. If you make a loud noise by a baby, they'll kind of shudder a little bit. If you, and, I, and I was reading, I was like, how would they ever figure out that babies were even afraid of falling? It's kind of not right. You may want to make a call on this one. But the study said that, like, they put babies on this um, glass floor, and they were crawling on the glass floor and could see down, and they were, like, too afraid they wouldn't go out on it, you know? And I was like, that's kind of messed up. But, and then they were, apparently they were like banging cymbals in their ears too. So that's not a good thing. But yeah, all the other fears we have are learned. And now as a Christian, God is trying to take me and say, I want you to unlearn those fears. I want you to not be afraid of what other people label you. Not be afraid of a feeling inside you have of being insignificant. Not be afraid that you're always going to be stuck in this same place. And then this one we're going to wrap up, up the series with today, the fear of being inadequate. And I don't know, maybe you hear those words and you instantly think like, that's me. Like, I feel that. And maybe you think like, no, I'm the man. You know, I'm the best. I don't ever feel inadequate. But maybe you um, are like most of humanity and you wrestle with this from time to time, feeling inadequate. You wouldn't necessarily come out and say it. Hey, I'm a loser. I'm inadequate. I can't do anything. But deep down inside, you question whether or not you are up to the task whether or not you're ready to be a mom or a dad, whether or not you're capable of being a good husband or a good wife, whether or not you actually have it in you to work hard and earn a living, whether or not you can stay committed to a person or a job. You don't know if you have that stuff in you. It's like, and everything you look at in your past kind of indicates like, maybe I don't have it in me. I could see where I've messed this up over and over again and I failed all the time. And maybe I am just inadequate. And that's the fear we're gonna look at today. And it's interesting because to do that, we're going to look at this encounter where an angel shows up to Mary. And in our culture today, when Mary gets talked about, she never would get talked about as inadequate. And I don't want to stand up in front and say bad things about Jesus's mom. It's not a good thing to talk bad about people's moms, right? But um, but, but today, like our culture, Mary would just be presented as this like super confident, godly woman who never did anything wrong, right? And yet, uh, I think in this account today, if we look deeper into the truth of God's scripture today, we're going to see somebody who's probably struggling with this feeling of inadequacy, feeling like she wasn't up to the task. And uh, that's okay to have those feelings. Those are still real. And so we want to look at that fear today and kind of address what God has to say about it. Let me kind of kick it off, give you the background on it. We're going to be in Luke chapter 1 pretty much the whole time today. And so if you want to follow along, you can turn there or click there or just watch the screen. But Luke chapter 1, let me start you off where this account starts off in verse 26. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, now, who's Elizabeth? That's Zechariah's wife, the John the Baptist mom, right? And we talked about that story or piece of the account already. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so I know we're only three weeks from that, but really we're six months away from that now in the Christmas story. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a village in Galilee, to a virgin named Mary, we talked about that last week a little bit, she was engaged to be married to a man named Joseph, a descendant of King David. Now why does any of that matter? It seems like extra information, but the reason all that matters, just what we said last week, all of these things are predictions that were made about the Christ, about the Messiah, hundreds or thousands of years earlier, and now they're all coming true in Jesus. It is it is not just improbable, it is mathematically impossible for any one human being to have fulfilled all the predictions that were made about the Messiah. And yet Jesus fulfilled them all. And here are just a few of them. That somehow the Christ or the Messiah would be born in the city of Bethlehem, but he would also be called a Nazarene. Now how would that be? That would be like for us saying that's not a big deal today. You might be like, yeah I was born in Lexington, but I'm a McCreary Countyan." But in that culture, it would be very odd to be late in your pregnancy and travel 150 miles or 100 miles away. And yet here's Jesus as a, a, an unborn baby being transported at the end of Mary's pregnancy from Nazareth to Bethlehem. And you're thinking like, man, why would they do that? And nothing naturally would cause that to happen. But here we have this event where Caesar wants to do a census. And so he forces everybody to go back to their ancestral hometown to be counted, to be registered. So Joseph and Mary have to go back to Bethlehem. And then Jesus ends up being born there. And they're probably only there for a few days. That's probably only the amount of time it would take to go there and get registered. And yet somehow God ordains it or or works all the events together to have this couple from Nazareth show up in Bethlehem at the exact right time for Jesus to be born, and so you have this Messiah who was born in Bethlehem, but is also called a Nazarene, and then of course it says in the Old Testament that he would be, he would be called out of Egypt, like, well, how's that going to happen? How's he going to be from Bethlehem and Nazareth and Egypt all at the same time, until you find out that Herod wanted to kill off the Messiah, and so he's threatening to kill all the two-year-old and under kids, and so an angel comes to Joseph and says, take your family and run and flee to Egypt, and Jesus spends a little bit of his childhood in Egypt. And so here's Jesus. What are the odds that this Jewish, hardworking, blue-collar family living in Nazareth would have their baby in Bethlehem, then spend some time in Egypt before coming back to raise him the rest of the way in Nazareth? That alone is improbable. And then, of course, you throw in here this prediction that she would be a virgin. That's not just improbable. That's impossible. That's impossible. I know you might hear different things if you watch certain programming, but I'm saying like, this doesn't work this way. And so you're like, now we just went from like unlikely to like, whoa, that's impossible. And yet all these things are coming true in this one family's life. So here are all these predictions. And they're important because they set the framework for what we know to be true about Mary and Joseph and Jesus, even before Jesus Jesus is born and comes on the scene. And so what do we know about Mary? We don't know much. We don't know much. We know she's a virgin. We know she's engaged. She's engaged to Joseph, somebody from the line of King David. That was another prediction that the Messiah would be a descendant of King David. And here Jesus fulfills that one too. Here in just these couple verses, you get like four or five predictions about Jesus and they all come true. And so we need those because they're evidence. They're evidence. They're not unequivocal proof, but they're evidence. They're evidence that my faith just isn't blind faith and just isn't in something I can't wrap my mind around or think about. No, they're evidence that what God says is actually true because how else could all of these things happen in Jesus? And so, you know, there's this young woman, Mary, living in Nazareth and she's on her way to Bethlehem with her, uh, her fiance to be registered and she's a virgin and, and now an angel's going to show up in her life. And stay with me. You're going to kind of see this insignificance that she feels or inadequacy that she feels. Let me read you verse 28 when the angel shows up. Here's here's what he says to her first. Gabriel appeared to her and said, Greetings, favored woman. Greetings, favored woman. The Lord is with you. In case you missed it, the Lord is with you. That's code for God's presence. You guys missed that from from week one? If we're kind of backing up. Greetings, favored woman or favored one, the actual text says, greetings favored one, the Lord is with you. And then look at Mary's reaction to that, confused and disturbed. Mary tried to think what the angel could mean. Now, Mary's a Jewish girl. She grew up in Israel, and she's probably educated a little bit in the uh, law of Moses, and she knows that God is everywhere. She knows that God is with her, and yet says she's confused and disturbed you're going to find out in the next paragraph there she's afraid she's confused and disturbed by what this angel says and all he said was greetings favored woman the Lord is with you and I looked at that this week and I thought I don't know how how, uh, disturbed or confused she would have been about the concept of God is with her seems like she would have got that that God's with all of us that he loves Israel and he's here with us but but maybe she would kind of doubted that who knows but it seems like, you're going to read this as we go through this account, but she spends a bunch of time thinking about this and she's trying to figure out, what does this angel mean? That I'm favored. And that could be you. You, you look at your life and you think like, I know God's there and I know he loves me, but like favored? I, I can't see anything about my life that communicates that I get favor from God or blessing or special treatment or all these good things. For I mean, what about my life says that I'm favored? And I feel like Mary's sitting there kind of perplexed and confused and a little afraid and thinking to herself, what is this guy talking about? What about my life says I'm favored by God? I'm just a regular Jewish teen, engaged to be married, nothing special about me, What's he talking about? This is God's presence, and the angel guarantees it to her. But she's disturbed, and she can't figure out what he means. What is it that would indicate that God is giving me a bunch of extra blessing? And maybe this is the same struggle you have. You come to church, and you try to be a good person, and you you think you're following Jesus, and you've, you know, said the prayer, and you've asked God to save you, and and, and, and you're trying to do all these right things, and yet somewhere deep down inside, you just think to yourself, like it's just not working out the way I thought it would work out. Like I just don't see any blessing on my life. It just I just feel like a normal, ordinary, kind of inadequate person. The whole concept is just a little disturbing and frightening to Mary, and, and so listen to what the angel says next in verse 30. Don't be afraid, Mary, the angel told her. He's going to repeat it. For you have found favor with God. I know this is disturbing. I know this is confusing. It might cause you fear. Don't be afraid. Yes, you have received. You have found favor with God. And then he's going to, if you're an underliner, be on the lookout for all the wills in this passage, okay? Because I went through this week. I counted up 12 wills that the angel says. Here's some of them. You ready? He says, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. And He will be very great and will be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his ancestor David and he will reign over Israel forever. His kingdom will never end. And why is that all important? Because the angel's not saying like this is what should happen or this is what you can hope will happen or you should be wishing for your son to turn out this way. He's saying no, this will happen. This is guaranteed from God, these things that I'm telling you, all of this favor is promised. You don't have to wonder about it. It's a guarantee. Not only is God with you, but He's promising you favor, blessing, goodness, kindness, extra stuff that other people won't be receiving. He's promising that to you. Those are all these wills. These are God's promises and he's saying you can bank on them no matter how you feel about them. Mary's not feeling these. She's not feeling like God's given her favor. She's not feeling like God is with her all the time. She's a little disturbed and confused by it. But he's saying bank on it, Mary. Bank on it. You can be sure that God will deliver his promises. But here's what she says verse 34 she says she asks the angel how can this happen how can this happen I'm a virgin now she doubts it's interesting because I spent some time this week thinking like remember back in week two when when the angel told Zechariah that he was going to have a baby in his old age and Zechariah was like how can this happen Remember that? And then the angel was like, hey, because you didn't believe, because you doubted, I'm gonna mute you for a while. Wouldn't wouldn't it be great? Like if we had a mute button for all the people in our life. You know, I've <laughs> had enough mute, you know. And so the angel mutes them until John the Baptist is born, and then he gets his his voice back, right? And you're looking at this, and the angel's not gonna do the same thing with Mary. And I'm like, but why? It seems like they're both doubting God's favor. But then I noticed this difference in the passage. Now, you might have to like kind of think back or go back and listen to week two if you weren't here. But when Zechariah doubted, he said something along the lines of this, like how can this happen? How will I know for sure that God's really going to do this? Mary doesn't do that. Mary, Mary doubts differently. She says, how can this happen? I am a virgin. See, See, Zechariah was doubting whether or not God could do what he was saying he was going to do. But Mary was doubting if she was adequate for what's being said is going to happen. Zechariah was doubting God, and so he needed to get disciplined. There's worse ways to get disciplined, but he gets disciplined, right? Mary was doubting herself. I hear what you're saying, but how can this happen? I'm... I'm a virgin. I'm not qualified. I'm not adequate for this. And and she's about to learn this lesson that all of us need to know because you might feel inadequate to what God's calling you to do. But God doesn't call the qualified. God qualifies the called. Mary's not qualified. You're right. How's she going to have a baby? She's never even been with somebody. She's just this teenage girl, blue-collar girl from Israel. How's she going to raise the Messiah? She's inadequate. But God isn't calling her because of her qualifications. God isn't picking her because she's so adequate. God is going to do all the hard work. She has feelings about this, and they're feelings of fear and and feelings of confusion, and she's disturbed. and, and, And those feelings are all real. And when you feel like you're not up to the task that God is calling you to, those feelings are all real. They're just not always true. And we live in this world where feelings have become fact. And so if I feel it, it's got to be true. And if I feel like that person hates me, then they hate me. And if I feel like that person is judging me, then that must be true and they're judging me. And if if I feel like I can't do this forever, then I can't do it forever. So if I feel like getting out, I just get out. And if I feel like quitting, I just quit. And if I feel like not stepping up, I just fall back. And if I feel it, it's got to be fact. But not so. And the angel's about to tell her that. You feel all these things and I get it. It's okay to doubt yourself. It's okay. But let me reassure you. And instead of redirecting and correcting Mary, the angel's going to reassure her. And he's going to do it with the one thing he's left out so far. So far he's kind of said to her like, Hey, I know you're afraid. I know you're disturbed. I know you're confused. But God is with you. I know you're afraid. I know you're confused. I know you're disturbed. But God has made you some promises and you can bank on those promises. But now he's going to give her the third piece of the puzzle to drive out her fear. And look with me at verse 35. The angel replied, the Holy Spirit, here's some more of these wills, the Holy Spirit will come upon you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. I feel like we could do a whole sermon just on that phrase. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the baby to be born will be holy and he will be called the Son of God. Well, what's he saying? What he's really saying there is like, Mary, you're not gonna do any of the work. I know you feel inadequate, but that's okay. I know you doubt yourself and your ability to walk into this calling that God is giving you, but that's okay. You don't have to do any of the heavy lifting. God has unlimited power and his power will overshadow you and he will do all the work. You don't have to be strong enough or adequate enough or capable enough or qualified enough. Let me reassure you, don't be afraid. It's God's power that will do the impossible. And then and then he's like, and if you even need more evidence or more proof, let me go to verse 36. He's like, what's more, your rel- relative Elizabeth has become pregnant in her old age. People used to say she was barren, that that was impossible, that God couldn't do that, that she was too old to conceive, that she couldn't do it. She was inadequate, but she's now conceived of sons in their sixth month of pregnancy. But God did that too. If my words aren't enough, if my promises aren't enough, if my presence isn't enough, if you need to see my power on display so you'll be convinced that your inadequacies don't hold God back, then let me just give you this example. Your relative just got pregnant. You know, the one that was so old, everybody said couldn't get pregnant. The one that thought there's no way I'll ever get pregnant. I'm stuck right here, barren my whole life. God was like, no, 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 I've got that. My strength is enough. I'll overcome that, even though everyone thinks it's impossible. And then I love how the angel ends this paragraph in verse 37. He says, for the word of the Lord will never fail. Huh. Man, we could do a whole sermon on that too. But you've got all this guarantee from God. All these promises from God that I will be with you, that I will never leave you, that I will hold you in the palm of my hand. You've got all these promises for God that I've come to give you a future and a hope, that uh, I've come to set you free, that I've come to transform you into a new creation, that I've come to give you life and life everlasting and life abundantly. I've come to give you all this favor and you can bank on it. My word will not fail. And in case you needed more evidence, let me put my power on display and I will literally come to earth and live the life you couldn't live and die in your place and rise from the dead. Is there anything stronger to overcome than death? If you find the strongest man or woman in the world and they can overcome all kinds of obstacles, all kinds of hurdles, they can deal with challenges in their life, can they come back from the dead? Is there anything more difficult to beat than death? And Jesus says, I got that. My power is enough to even overcome that. He's like, I'm giving you my presence. I am giving you my promises. I am giving you my power. I am giving you all this favor and kindness. You know, that's the literal definition for the word grace in Greek. Unmerited, unearned favor and kindness. And God is unleashing that on this world and he's unleashing it on Mary, and he's saying, I'm going to be with you, and you're going to have all this favor from me, and and don't worry about it. If you doubt yourself, and you feel inadequate, my power will overshadow you, and I will do all of it. You don't have to clean yourself up or get better. You don't have to improve your standing with me. All you have to do is just walk out your calling. You say, I'm going to mess it up. None of that matters, you say, but I failed so many times in the past. I'm not keeping score. You say, I don't believe I can really do it. Don't, don't worry if you doubt yourself. Just believe me. And God's like, I got all this. I got all this. This isn't really part of the sermon today, but... I don't know, I guess I'm kind of weird or goofy, but this week I just kind of got thinking about like, I'm gonna break down this uh, conversation. And I went through and I counted up all the words. You don't have to do this if you don't want to, but I counted up all the words in this conversation between Mary and the angel Gabriel here. And uh, and you know what's interesting? About 90% of the words were spoken from the angel. And about 10% were spoken from Mary. And I thought, that's a good principle of life. It's not really what we're talking about today. We're talking about fear. But man, I want to be the kind of person that listens to God about 90% and talks to God about 10%. I know I got a lot of stuff to say and you got a lot of problems to address and you got a lot of concerns you want to talk to God about. But man, wouldn't we be better off if we just listened to God a little bit more? Like just spend some time listening. Like I got problems, God, and I could go on forever about it. But man, I just really want to hear something from you. And I love that, that she just has kind of these short answers, and the the angel kind of does most of the talking in this account. And then Mary, uh, she gives this response, and it's the best. Like, it's the best response. And anytime God speaks to you, anytime he speaks to you through his word, anytime Anytime he brings a, a Jesus follower into your life and they share something with you that he's put on their heart. Anytime, uh, anytime you kind of feel that nudge in your spirit be like, man, I need to like step into that. That's gonna be a sacrifice, but I feel like God is telling me to do it. That's gonna cost me dearly, but God, I think, wants me to step into that role or that, that giving or, or that commitment or that sacrifice or that relationship. And you're like, and you're gonna press into any Anytime God is like speaking to you, and he's giving you some of his truth or offering you some of his grace, this is the response to give. Here's what she says. She says, uh, I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. Then the angel left her. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you've said about me come true. Instead of complaining instead of asking for a way out, instead of ignoring that still small voice in my head and and continuing to live for myself, instead of like pushing all those uh, advice and words from others out and just doing what I feel like doing, instead of just trusting my feelings, I just surrender and I press into God's calling. I am the Lord's servant. May everything you have said about me come true. And I can sum that up for you even shorter. It, it almost felt like to me, like she was saying four words, these four simple words. If they were our answer to God almost all the time, if you say so, God, if you say so. It's almost like she was like, I, I'm a little disturbed. I'm a little disturbed. I'm kind of confused. If I'm being honest, I'm a little afraid. It seems what you're asking is impossible. But hey, if you say so, if you say so, God. There's some people in our room right now. Let's just get real for a second. There's some people in our room right now, like you're terrified to lead your family with godliness. You're scared of it for whatever reason. You're like, I don't know. I haven't really been part of this family long enough. I don't know. My kids, we've done it one way for so long. If I try that now, they're just going to make fun of me. They're not going to respect me enough to, to follow my leading. I don't even read so well. How am I going to read God's word if I don't read so well? Or pray, I'm, I'm terrified to pray in front of other people. How would I ever pray in front of my wife or my kids? How would I ever get down on my knees beside my kid's bed and just thank God for all the favor he's poured in my life in front of them It'd be kind of embarrassing? And, and you're confused. And you're disturbed. And you're a little afraid. And, and you look at some of this stuff and you think it's impossible. Give my money to God? How would I ever do that? I don't even have enough to make ends meet. Sacrifice my time to serve. Do you know how many dots are on my iPhone schedule already? Use my talents to help other people. Don't you understand it's all I can do to keep up with my own life? Press into this relationship and be committed instead of running away and hiding because I feel like it. Honoring my vows. Being a man of nobility and honor when I feel like satisfying me. Taking a baseball bat to my computer or my cell phone. You say, what are you talking about? So Jesus said, better off to pluck your own eye out than to give your life to sin. Well, you don't need to pluck your life. Sometimes we don't need to pluck our eye out. We just need to take our iPhone and whip it in a pond. Sometimes we just need to get serious about dealing with the garbage in our life. And all of that stuff is confusing and disturbing and a little scary and sometimes feels impossible. But the response from us ought to be like, but if you say so, if you say so, God, that was Mary's response. It reminded me of uh, Samuel in the Old Testament. He said, speak, Lord, for your servant is listening. Or Isaiah, when he goes in Isaiah chapter, I can't remember if it's chapter one, somewhere between chapter one and chapter six, where Isaiah has this vision and he is in front of God and he's so terrified at God's holiness and he kind of falls on his face and he recognizes how messed up and wicked he is. And God takes a coal from a fire, sends it over with an angel, cleanses his lips. And then he asks this question, who will go out to the world for me? And Isaiah says, here am I, send me to be your servant. It's this same response over and over again where Jesus says to his closest followers, a bunch of people walk away from Jesus and he rallies around his closest followers and he says, are you going to leave me now too? And Peter speaks up and he says, leave you? Where else would we go? You have the word of life. You are I am. Where else would I go? No, I'm going to serve you the rest of my life. If you say so. If you say so. And uh, put that verse back up there just for a second. I just want to highlight for you one word from this verse. The word servant. And uh, that's a word, that, like, there's a ladybug on the screen. I don't know if you're, like, obsessive-compulsive like me. It might be distracting you, but I turned around and distracted me. So I don't know if it's obsessive-compulsive or ADHD, but I couldn't pay attention to what I was doing there because I saw the ladybug. So, uh, but I want to highlight this word servant for you because that's a word that in English here we could get kind of confused on, right? It's a word I remember learning about this word Um, in the New Testament when I was just a kid, like in one of these kids classes like these guys are in today. But um, this word servant can get confused because you might read that and you might think to yourself like, oh it's like a waiter or a waitress, right? Like a servant in a restaurant or something, right? Or, Or you might read that word and you might translate that into like kind of slave and what we know to be of like slavery and our our historical context or our culture as a nation, right? But that really isn't the intent of that word. The, the Greek word there is doulos. If you want to write this down in Greek, I put it up there. If anybody knows those Greek letters afterwards who didn't go to Bible college or Christian college, uh, I'll give you a dollar if you know those. I, I, I tested, was that you? Or I tested no before church, but he didn't even get one of them. I thought you should know someone from like fraternities and sororities and stuff, but no. But uh, it's the word doulos, right? Actually, this is the feminine form of it here in this verse, doulay, I think it is. But doulos is the word I learned growing up, doulos. And it actually means bondservant. And it isn't like the idea of a waiter or waitress in a restaurant. And it isn't really like the idea of slave in the context of American history, when we know what slavery is, right? It's a little different than those concepts, and I want to kind of explain that to you today. The closest representation, and this actually falls short too, but the closest representation, like in our historical context as Americans, would probably be what we would call indentured servitude. Right? you familiar with this concept? Where somebody owes somebody else so much money that they have no um, fiscal way to pay it back, and so they agree to go work for that person as a servant until the debt is paid off. Okay, you ever heard that concept before, indentured servants? And so that's really more what this idea is like. Now, it it too falls short of the meaning within Christianity and the context which Jesus is going to use this word over and over as he writes the New Testament for us through his authors. But it's like, it's this idea of the debt is so great, I can't come up with the money, so I will give my whole life to serve you until the debt is square with the house, right? And, uh, and put that verse back up there so a second. Go back one there um, to that verse. And that's what Mary's saying. I am the Lord's loss. I am giving my entire life to the Lord until the debt is paid or square. Everything he says, let it all happen if you say so. If you say so. And uh, I mean, over and over again, this concept comes up in the Bible. It's, it's interesting because um, one time Jesus was preaching to this crowd. I don't know why my mind went to this this week, but like one time Jesus was preaching to this crowd and, and this lady in the crowd shouts out. It's almost like Jesus is like a celebrity and people are like shouting out like things they love about him and stuff. And this lady shouts out. She's like, blessed be your mom, right? It's like, it's like what? Jesus is up here teaching. And she's like, Blessed be your mother, the, the, the one who gave birth to you, and the one who nursed you. And, and, and if I was Jesus, it seems like the thing you'd say back to that person would be like, Yeah, my mom was awesome. You know what I mean? Like, like who's gonna bash their own mom? Or, and, and, and so Jesus, it's like, and so Jesus says back to her something so fascinating because he had this opportunity to praise his mom and to give her all kinds of credit. But instead of doing that, you'll have to look it up on your own. I can't remember where it's at now. Luke chapter 11, maybe. Jesus says back to this lady, he says, uh, but even more blessed, but even more blessed is the person who hears God's truth and then does it. And I thought, man, that's crazy because you're thinking like Mary is blessed, you know, and she has all this favor from God. And, and, uh, and she even says like people will call me blessed for the rest of time. And, and so here cries this lady like, yeah, blessed be your mother. And she's like, yeah, but even better off than that, even better off than being my mom, even more favored than being the mother of the Messiah is the person who hears truth from God and then goes and does it. A person who hears truth from God and their response is like, if you say so, if you say so, I'll do it. And uh, there was this one scene where a couple of Jesus' disciples are asking him about sitting beside him in eternity. Can we sit on your right and left in heaven? And the other disciples hear them saying that and they get ticked off. They get ticked off like, well, who are you to sit first, sit beside Jesus? We want to sit beside Jesus. And and Jesus kind of stops and he says, no, 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 no. You know that that's how the people in this world act. They try to get every piece of power they can. And they lord all their authority over the people they have authority over. But with my followers, it'll be different. Instead, with you, if you want to be the first, you become the last. If you want to be great in my kingdom, he says, you become the do loss. The servant of all. The bond servant. Trying to pay off this debt. And uh, there was another time where Jesus was teaching and a-, a-, a bunch of like uh, people were listening to him teaching. He was kind of giving them this famous passage where he's like, hey, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And then he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Like, and then he's like, I want to set you free. I have come to set you free, and all these skeptics are like, set us free? What are you talking about? We've never been slaves. We've always been free. What are you going to free us from? And Jesus says, don't you know, don't you know that when you choose to sin, you choose to become a doulos, a servant, a slave to sin? You get to choose what you're going to be a do lost to. What you're going to be a slave to. What you're going to be a bondservant to. Is it going to be God and what he says? Is it going to be how I feel? Is it going to be what everybody else does? I get to choose sin or savior. On my own or slave to him. I get to choose those things over and over and over again. It's crazy because later on that same passage there in John, John somewhere I can't remember, John 12 maybe. It says that... Uh, A bunch of people found this so hard to believe. And then it says, like, in spite, in spite of all the power and all the miracles that Jesus did, still many would not believe. We get to make this choice. The evidence is all around us that God is all powerful, that He is with us, that He has made us some promises of favor. We get to choose. And uh, I brought this rope. No, it was making fun of me before church about this, but I brought my rope again, so I'm going to see if I can um, come back here for just a second. I don't remember how long this is, so this might be longer than I'm thinking, but I'm going to try to not hit somebody with this if I can. Can you just hold that for a second? Tight, so I don't pull it out of your hands there. Yeah, it's pretty long. I need you to use your imaginations with this rope for a second, okay? Just use your imagination. I'm going to pull it up. I'm going to make a We're going to make a line out of it, kind of a line, all right? Now, imagine this rope is your timeline, your life, okay? But um, uh, Johnny, can you stand up in the aisle there for just a second? Sheena was getting ready to skip over this, start jumping it, so. But uh, now imagine where Johnny's at back there isn't the end of the rope, okay? You got to use your imagination. Imagine it goes through the wall in the back, and then keeps going around the whole earth. And just keeps looping and looping. And it has this start, but it goes on forever. That's your life, right? And, uh, and Jesus is like, you get a choice. Okay, and here's the choice. And, and on the very end, I kind of painted this part red. So you see this little red part up here? This part right here represents the part you live on earth of your life. And Jesus says, you get a choice to be a slave, a bond servant, a due loss to this little part or the rest of it. And and in our world, people are leveraging everything they have for this. And they think I'm crazy, but I think that's crazy. They're leveraging their money They're leveraging their time, their abilities, their feelings, their relationships, everything they do. They're leveraging all of it for, man, I got vacation coming in six months. Boy, I want to retire when I hit 65. I really want to be able to live the good life. It's not right that they have a new vehicle and I don't. I don't understand. Their marriage looks really happy. Why is mine so miserable? I should get out. I'm leveraging everything I've got and everything I am to make this tiny little red piece as enjoyable as I can to me. And Jesus says anybody that does that is going to lose all of this. And anybody that gives up this little tiny red piece is going to get favor for all of that. You can throw it down on the ground there, buddy. They look at us and they think that's crazy. Why would you sacrifice everything for Jesus? Why would you do whatever he says? Why would you why would you look at him and say if you say so? Because I'm investing in what's greater. I want the favor that lasts for eternity. It's it's like the angel is saying like God's with you. God's giving you favor. And God's got all the power you need. It's like these three things we've been talking about for the whole series. God's presence, God's promise, and God's power. Maybe, if it's the next one, yeah. And, uh, and he's looking at Mary, and he's like, you don't have to be afraid. You don't have to be disturbed or concerned. You don't have to worry about all the doubts you have about yourself. God's got this. God's got this. And every single time I feel fear, It's because I've stopped believing one of these three things. I've stopped believing that God's with me. I've stopped believing that he's promised me favor. I've stopped believing that his power is enough to deal with whatever I'm facing. Every time. I've I've chosen to be a slave to my fear. And I've chosen to stop believing whatever the Lord says is true. Because when I embrace these three things, it makes me do crazy stuff. And if you really believe that God is with you, that God has favor for you, and that God has unlimited power, you will leverage everything you've got for eternity. And if you don't, you're living scared. And you don't have to live that way anymore. You can start to look crazy to everybody else it'll start to look like you have unlimited courage because greater is he that's in you than he that's in the world because I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength because everything I have right now doesn't matter. I consider all of that stuff garbage for the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. I'm storing up all my treasures in heaven. I'm laying aside all my earthly wealth, all my fame and fortune, all the things that make me feel good. I'm sacrificing all of that and I'm giving up only this tiny little speck to gain eternal favor. And Jesus said, if you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will find it. And it doesn't make any sense. I mean, who would choose to be a slave? Who would choose that? And this is where the difference is in God's plan and what we know as indentured servanthood. Who would choose to be a slave? There's only one kind of person that would choose that. The only person that would ever choose to be a bond slave, a bond servant, the only person that would do that is somebody who is so far in debt that there was absolutely no way to pay it back and then the person they owed all the money to said, don't worry about any of it, it's all paid for. And you would be so overwhelmed with gratitude that you would go to that master, that debtor, and you would say, I can't believe you would do that for me. I don't even deserve that. I'm so unqualified. I'm absolutely inadequate. And over and over and over again, that master would look back and you'd be like, "No, no, no. I'm doing all the work. Just believe my promises. I will never leave you. Over and over again, he' keep giving you the same message. And over and over again, I would be overwhelmed with gratitude. I would be overwhelmed with how gracious he's being to me, how merciful he's being to me. And I would say, you know what? Because of that, because of that, I will choose to be your bondservant. I will choose to give you everything I have because I'm so grateful. That's the only person that would do that. And so I ask you today, is that you? Are you overwhelmed with gratitude for what God has done for you? He sent his son to live on this earth, to be abused and betrayed and beaten by us, to be executed and die in your place, to take all the punishment that you deserved. Thankfully, he was powerful enough to defeat that and rise from the dead. And now he looks at you and he says, I will be with you. I will give you favor. I will have all the power you need. If you will just look back at me and say, if you say so, I don't always feel it. I don't always want to. I don't always trust my own ability. But if you say so, I'll believe it. That's it. And he wipes the slate clean. And I have this loving relationship with him where I get to now say like, oh man, why why would I not leverage everything I have for eternity after all he's done for me? Is that the relationship you have with the God of the universe? Or is it one of fear? Is it one of just doubts and and feeling stuck and and looking at yourself as so insignificant and and, and just feeling like everybody else is labeling you and they're all right? Or is it this relationship where God loves you so well and you just look back at him and you say, yeah, I I will be your due loss. I will be your servant forever because of what you've done for me. You can't ever earn it. You can't ever pay off the debt, but you don't have to. The slate has been wiped clean. All you have to do is look at God and say, if you say so, I receive it. I believe it. All these words that get thrown around in churches, it's just people looking at God and saying, if you say so, if you say so. Later down in Luke chapter one, Mary writes a song. I don't know if it's a song or a poem. It's called the Magnificat in most Bible translations, but just means spiritual uh, hymn or song. Of uh, praise to the Lord. And so she writes this song or this poem. Let me just read you part of it. And you see if in this song that she writes, that she writes sometime in the next three months, you don't exactly know when, but sometime in the next three months, she writes this song. And and you see if you hear from her somebody that feels like, Yeah, my debt has been taken care of, my slate has been wiped clean. I will serve this God forever because of what he's done for me. See if you hear these principles of I know God is with me. I know God is giving me favor. I know God's power is unlimited. It's in starting in verse 46 she writes this. Oh how my soul praises the Lord. How my spirit rejoices in God my savior. For he took notice of this his lowly servant girl. And from now on all generations will call me blessed. For the mighty one is holy. He has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who fear him. There's that good fear we talked about back in week one. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. Do you hear it over and over again? God is with me. God is for me. God is all powerful with me. He's, he's doing all the work. I'm just his servant. I'm just his lowly servant. He is so good and so holy and has done such mighty things. We don't think that way. We don't praise God like that. We, we think like we praise God when we feel like it or, or when things are going well. But the Bible's baseline for praising God has nothing to do with your feelings or your circumstances. The Bible's baseline for you praising God is that you're alive. Because it says, let everything that has breath praise the Lord. And you keep waiting to feel better. Or you keep waiting for things to get better. Or you keep waiting for you to get your life all figured out. And God's like, stop all that. I'll take care of all that. You just look at me and say, if you say so, I'm going to start praising. I'm going to start proclaiming. I'm going to start doing all the things. I'm going to start believing all the things you say. I'm going to start changing the way I look at life. And from now on, it's going to be like, well, I don't feel it. I'm a little afraid of it. Seems a little impossible. But oh my goodness, if you say so. If you say so, I'm pressing on into that calling. If you say so, I'm gonna live the way you say to live. I'm gonna mess it all up. I'm gonna fail, but all that's paid for too. God isn't surprised by your shortcomings and your inadequacies. He paid for all of it. Can I pray for you? Dear Heavenly Father, would you unleash your glory on our church right now? Would you convince all the people who are here that have been playing some game, running some con, Trying, trying to convince themselves that they're cleaning up their act, coming to church to try to get your credit, tr- trying to m- convince everybody else in their family that they're a follower of you, when they've never really stopped and said, if you say so, God, if you say so, I'll just believe it. They're still leveraging their life for themselves. They're still trying to trick everybody into thinking they're a good person. Would you unleash your glory on all those folks in our room right now, Father, And just convince them, not not that they have to get themselves unstuck. And not that they have to find their own significance. And and not that they have to figure out a way to rip off all the labels that are on them. And and not, not convince them, God, that they have to become more adequate and more capable. But convince them, God, that you're doing all the work. And all they have to do is just say, yes. Yes. From this day forward, I will count on nobody to save me but you. From this day forward, I will obey no other master but you. From this day forward, I will be your bondservant. Let everything you say about me come true, Lord. Let everything you said about me come to pass. I am your due loss. I am your slave. I can never pay it back. But thank you for wiping the slate clean for me. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks again for listening in on the Three Strands podcast. If you've never visited us in person, we'd love to meet you face to face. We gather every Sunday at 11 a.m. at the McCreary County Park Building. We hope to see you soon.